Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Allison Lowe. And Dr. Allison Lowe is what I like to say, one of those kind of Swiss army knives in the Catholic world. Uh, She is a lifelong Catholic. Uh, She's a physician, a full-time physician in the great state of Texas, Uh, but she also received a master's degree from the Augustan Institute. She spends her free time devoted to various uh, different apostolates, whether it be her own, creating Catholic videos and writing articles for Catholic Stand. Uh, She also creates videos for uh, her website, pillarandfoundation.com, And she also teaches adult faith formation, RCIA, at her local parish. Uh, And so uh, I really wanted to bring her on because she brings not just a wealth of knowledge, but also a wealth of experience. And I think it can help all of our listeners, especially when it comes to being engaged in the world and trying to reorient the world back to God and towards the conversion to Christ. Uh, So, Dr. Lowe, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. All right. So to get us started, why don't you give us a little little introduction to yourself? You were uh, were raised Catholic, um, but at some point there there had to be a decision, there had to be a choice, there had to be something that really made you say, okay, I got to start, you know, living my faith with a a different kind of seriousness. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and um, grew up in a Catholic family, great Catholic parents, and I went to Catholic school from second grade until 12th grade. Um, so I was, I was immersed in the faith. I then went to college. I didn't really realize at the time that I didn't know my faith very well. So I was Catholic. We'd go to mass, go to the sacraments, but my knowledge was pretty superficial. I mean, I understood what we believe, but not really why. And I didn't understand things very deeply. So in college, I started to become influenced by, relativism, you know, the idea that, you know, I I can define for myself what is true and we just need to all get along. Um, A lot of people too that I met that were Christian had the attitude of, well, we all believe in Jesus. That's, that's good enough. Let's just agree to disagree on things. So we, I didn't really develop my faith much in college. Um, I played softball and um, was studying pretty hard to be able to get into medical school. So that was what my life was devoted to. Then I went to medical school in Houston and did that for four years, did residency in family medicine for three years, and then I did a fellowship in sports medicine um, for an additional year. So from the time after graduating high school, about another 12 years, I was studying for medicine. And throughout that time, I mean, I was, I was definitely Catholic. I didn't fall away completely, but um, I'd go to mass usually, but I was Looking back, I was very lukewarm. I didn't realize it at the time. If you had asked me, I would have said, well, I'm good enough. You know, um, I'm Catholic. I'm good enough. But um, things started to change during my last year of training. I encountered a friend who was um, a Protestant from the Baptist tradition, and we became really good friends for this year. And towards the end of the year, when I was about to leave to come back to Texas, um, I was in South Carolina at the time for my fellowship. We went on this little trip, weekend trip. She was going to show me around the state and show me some just nature, waterfalls, all kinds of things. So it was a great opportunity to talk. And she asked me, she's like, well, since you're Catholic, I have some questions. And no one had really asked me questions in my life like this. But she was like, I have three main things, you know. She was like, why do you believe in the Eucharist is really Jesus? Why do you pray to Mary and the saints? And then why do you believe in purgatory? So um, common questions that were often asked. 
I, I could explain them to her. Like I could define them. I told her, you know, Jesus is really the Eucharist. He's really present. Um, I could give her the definitions, but I couldn't go deeper. I couldn't explain why I couldn't, ex- what she wanted really was the biblical evidence or, or traditional evidence, whatever, um, to help her understand, but I couldn't give it to her. Um, and so we, we just kind of, it was very superficial conversation, honestly. And, uh, but she didn't keep asking questions. Um, she was just like, oh, okay. And we d- didn't talk about it again. But after that experience, it, it kind of kept hitting me how, ineffective I was and how I really didn't know my faith that well. Um, so for the next few months, I kind of felt like I'd been punched in the gut a little bit. Like I, I was like, what in the world happened there? Um, how did I not know those answers? They were simple, but I really couldn't help her um, better understand the faith. And so then I started to feel ashamed because for 12 years I had committed my life to medicine, you know, studying and doing nothing day and night. It was basically studying to be able to become a doctor and I neglected the most important thing, which was God. And so I started to realize how lukewarm I had been and how superficial I had been. And so that really experience motivated me and inspired me to start studying the faith. And I kind of made a commitment to God that, you know what, I will never let that happen again. I may not always have the answers, but I need to know where to go. I need to know where to find them and where to help people understand what it is um, the church teaches. Um, And almost even a bigger question for me too was, well, why am I Catholic? Because my parents were Catholic was the basic answer that I had lived with all my life. I grew up Catholic. My parents were Catholic. So that's why I was Catholic. So I also didn't want that to be the foundational reason. I wanted to know, you know, is it true? Um, So for the next several years, I just kind of committed to studying the faith outside of work. Um, I was a physician and practicing full time at that point. And just in my free time was studying and learning and reading and then after a couple of years, went to the Augustan Institute and received a master's degree in theology just because I just needed more enrichment. I mean, I was just falling in love with the faith and falling in love with Christ. And um, my relationship with Christ changed almost immediately when I started to you know, read the Bible, study the faith, pray more. And then over time, I realized that the more that I knew, the more I loved him. And so um, that, that, that was just a great way for me to, to have um, that powerful relationship. And so, um, the Gus Institute was just even more of a wonderful experience to be able to dive deeper into the faith. It's not for everyone, but for me, it was definitely something that was beneficial, um, to help, help encourage me to read things that I may not have challenged myself to do before then, particularly like the Summa. Um, I just fell in love with the faith and, um, you know, and you know, and many know that once you find that love, you just have to share it. So you have to just every every chance I get, I was trying to find ways to go share the faith with people. Um, just immediately, once I started to learn more about Christ and the church, and and it just became this overwhelming um, experience where I was just filled with joy and peace and happiness that I had never known before. Um, so it was just life changing in many ways to finally take my faith seriously, to take God seriously, and to really start to know Christ. And to have that relationship with him. You find this love for God and, and, and Jesus. The more you know, the more you learn about him, the better you are to love. You know, one of the reasons why everything we do is to encourage, you know, intellectual formation. Because, you know, you can't love rightly if you don't know who, who God is. I think that's, you know, sometimes where where a lot of people fall short is they love God and, and they're, they're, they're faithful in that way. 
But the more we know about him, the more we can love him rightly. And the more we can, you know, like you said, help others in that way. So, I mean, and that's one reason why, you know, um, CSA, why we started CSA is because, you know, you you had the motivation uh, to to go and to get an entire degree for, for essentially for fun, which is amazing and, and great. And God bless you for doing that. Uh, you know, uh, but for a lot of people out there, uh, that's not always accessible. Uh, so that's why we started Catholic Studies Academy is to provide something in that gap where, you know, like you said, you wanted to know more and you were studying, uh, you were reading all the books. And that's by far, I think, one of the best things people can do is read a book because uh, there's so many good ones out there. There's so much on every topic, and especially with the breadth of Catholic theology that we have. But to, to kind of fill that gap between going and getting a master's degree and, you know, your simple parish catechesis. With your experience with, you know, now bringing the faith to people, you're involved with the uh, St. Paul Street Evangelization. Um, uh, how did you get involved in that? And maybe you could tell us a little bit about what they do. Sure, so... Um, Probably about around, I think it's probably around May 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. Um, my dad actually was kind of the trigger for me to get involved with them. He, he's also been an important role in this whole journey that I've had the past 10 years. Um, because after my conversation with my friend, I went to him and started to ask him questions about what we believe and what resources do we have. And so he was an important um, influence. And so um, he's also the one that was moved he, he was inspired to tell me to go get a master's. And so he called me one day and says, I think you need to get this. So he was, he, he's, he's played an important role in this whole journey, but um, he started to get involved with St. Paul street evangelization and then it loved it. And so kind of invited me to come to Dallas a few times to experience it. And then I, I fell in love with it also. Um, but basically it's um, an organization um, that's kind of international at this point. And um, it was started by, um, a man named Steve Dawson um, and his friend Adam Adam Janky also. And so what we basically do, it's you go to p- public places, public parks or um, bus stations or wherever it's public. And you kind of just stand there in the park or on the street corner and you have a table filled with rosaries and holy cards and, and free things, medals, miraculous medals. And you're, you're there to be, you don't want to proselytize. You don't want to be... Um, trying to you know scream at people yell at people you want to be joyful and inviting and welcoming to people and most of the time by having a free gift it's enticing so people come over you say hey would you like a free rosary and that almost gets all the kids to come over and their parents will follow and so when they come over you offer them the rosary or a holy card and then you start to ask some questions say well are, are you catholic you know and they may say yes they may say no and then that will lead your discussion and so it's just this great non-confrontational approach to trying to talk to people about the faith. You may have 30 seconds, you may have five minutes. I've had some conversations that are 20 minutes. So it just depends. And and you just have to kind of trust the Holy Spirit to guide you in each conversation. But no matter what, you're always bringing Christ to that person in some way. And most people are just impressed to see people out there talking about Christ, and especially Catholics. I've had so many people say, I didn't know Catholics did this. Um, But it's just a great way to kind of meet people that you would never meet in in any other setting. And so um, it's been wonderful. There's so many great experiences. Um, But but like I said, I would probably say the majority of people I meet are actually falling away Catholics. Um, And so that that kind of is a good conversation starter because they'll say, are you Catholic? And they'll say, well, I used to be. 
and they say, oh, really? Well, you know, what, what made you leave or what, what was going on? What happened? And then you'll usually find some issue that maybe they maybe they didn't. So one person had an issue with salvation, you know, oh, well, we believe you can earn your way to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. And then you, that's a good conversation starter. Then you can lead in with that and start talking about that. Some people had a bad experience with um, a person or a priest. I had a lady who had some issues with the priest not wanting to baptize her her baby, but it was a, it was complete misunderstanding on her part. Mm. And so you talk to her about it and say, well, here's what happened. Or maybe she misunderstood or had received misinformation. So you, you find the root issue and then you can go from there. Um, there's a lot of people who are Catholic that you meet that aren't going to mass, that aren't practicing their faith. And so you may say, can I give you one good reason why you need to be going to mass every Sunday? The salvation of you and your kids, you know, and, and so you, you kind of figure out is where you're, what you're moved to say based on their answer to that question. Are you Catholic? And, you know, when, when you give them holy cards, maybe you even just say, Hey, have you ever heard of a holy card before? Do you know about the saints and why it is we ask for their prayers? Um, and then you can go and explain that to people. So it's a great non-confrontational way to engage people about the faith. So I, I love it. So I've been doing it for the past few years. You just kind of go out whenever you can with a team of people. Usually try to go with at least two people, um, but sometimes it's more. Adam Janke was in a couple of my classes when I went to uh, Steubenville. We were oh, there yeah. at the same time, so yeah. I recognized him. And the work that, that St. Paul Street Evangelization does, I, I absolutely love it. And I let, like you said, you know, it's a, it's a non-confrontational way to interact with people in this way. And it's, for a lot of people, the subject of their faith, like it doesn't always just come up naturally uh-huh. in conversation. Very rarely do you're like, oh, well, let's talk about, you know, uh-huh. you know, you know, why, why Jesus is, you know, both God and both man, you know, like right. a lot of these things. So, I mean, like many times these, these conversations, they have to be uh, very intentional, but because of the climate we live in, uh, they can easily and quickly turn to being something that's confrontational. So mm-hmm. to have an environment that is kind of clear from the beginning, here's what we're going to talk about, but no pressure. You can keep walking by, you can engage with us. Uh, you can, you know, uh, do what you like, like to have that kind of uh, environment to begin to speak to people uh, that way, uh, I think is it's one of the best things. Uh, th- and it's one of the things that the church uh, definitely needs. I think it's interesting the uh, uh, that the majority of people you're meeting are fallen away Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, that's huge. You know, so I mean, a lot of times I think people think of, you know, uh, if they know of uh, St. Paul Street Evangelization, like, you know, oh, you're probably just, you know, reaching out to non-Catholics and things like uh-huh. that. But, you know, probably it's, you know, you could probably almost say like it's it's a ministry that that Catholics need, right. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. uh, and sometimes even even more. What's been like your interaction maybe with Protestants uh, with uh, St. Paul Street Evangelization? I would say surprisingly very good. Um, I have never had any type of hostile conversation or I've never been in a conversation where people were raising their voice, yelling, getting angry. I mean, I know it does happen occasionally, but it is very infrequent. Even talking to people from other cities, um, my my dad still does it in Dallas a lot. And and they they actually usually have a lot bigger crowds when they go out. Um, But he too, I mean, it's very rare that you have an intense conversation. Now you may become passionate about what you're believing, what you're trying to say to the other person, but you always do. I mean, one of the, the goals with this is always being charitable and joyful. I mean, you have to listen to the other person and, and there's a lot of misconceptions about the Catholic faith. And so you have to recognize that most of the time the other person 
truly doesn't understand. And it's not, you don't take things personal. It's not like they're trying to personally attack you. Um, and, and honestly, like I look at it as if someone comes up to me, like I had a, a, a woman come up to me and kind of get a little angry. Like she was upset. You Catholics are going to hell because you worship Mary. To me, that was an act of love on her part. I mean, how many people have courage to come up to someone and say, I'm worried about your salvation. So I, yeah. that's brave on her part, courageous on, our, on her part and an act of love. So I want to respond to her in love and say, well, I appreciate you, you be concerned. I think that's really respectable and I'm glad you feel that love of Christ for me, but let me explain what Catholics believe because we do not at all believe you worship Mary, you know, you worship God alone. And then you go into that explanation of um, what we, what worship means and who it is that we worship God alone and then what it is Mary's role is in the church and how it's often misunderstood. And you talk about that. Um, so it's really been surprisingly a good, um, a good experience and the fact you have the table and you're not hunting people down or chasing people down, they have the opportunity to come to you. And so if they make that step to come to you, then you already have a little bit of a window. Um, and so you have to, you know, if I go and approach someone and I'm walking around the park or something, maybe trying to see if people are interested in rosaries, I'm going to be a lot, have a, di a different attitude than if I just stand at the table. So if I stand at the table and let them approach me, and I know they're open for conversation. The people who are going to be hostile won't come to the table. If it's kind of slow and I have the table there and people are sitting around and not coming to the table, I may walk around and just say, would you like a free rosary? But I'm not trying to engage them as much because they're, they're not freely choosing to come to me. So you want to still keep it very non-confrontational. And that really helps. That helps that relationship piece where people can freely choose to talk to you. And I think it, it, it makes them less defensive um, than if you were to go and engage them first. Um, and so even here, in, yeah, even here in East Texas, where it's very, a large non-Catholic population, I have never had any bad experiences. I think you bring up two really important pieces that the modern evangelist needs to have. You know, first is, is that patience to be able to, you know, because sometimes like, especially if we get, if we become really zealous for our faith, you know, we want to go out and, you know, catechized with a baseball bat you know we have to have that that patience of waiting that patience of, of being there um, but I think the other the other thing that you bring up that I think is so important that many times the, the the first approach that you have to take before you start trying to biblically prove this or that doctrine is to to listen to them and to find out what their understanding is because I think you know I think you know probably 80 percent of apologetics nowadays, needs to be helping people correct their misinformation or help helping people correct their their the the false ideas that they have about catholicism mm -hmm. once those are corrected you know we can move in this direction or that direction but but at least you know like a good thomist you know you begin by defining your terms mm -hmm. um you begin by okay well what do you mean by this um what are what are maybe some some suggestions you have for for people who want to evangelize, uh, you know, and, and engage with people. Obviously, you said, you know, you know, try to find a non-confrontational way uh, in that. But, you know, maybe what are, what are some other uh, um, tips you have for them? Um, I would probably say there's four big ones. Um, the first would be that we have to always remember that you cannot give what you do not have. So you first have to have a relationship with Christ yourself. And so it doesn't mean you have to be a theologian at all. Um, a lot of times, even the bishops, when they put out papers on evangelization, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four is a model. 
because she meets Jesus, encounters him, and then goes, shares him with others in joy and, and converts people. It's not that she was a theologian. She met, encountered Christ. So we all have to encounter Christ, have a relationship with him, never stop studying and growing in the faith, because the more you know, you are enabled to share the faith better, but it doesn't mean you have to wait until you have a theology degree. You love Christ and you go share that love with others. So you need to, you need to always be working on, on your own spiritual and intellectual formation, number one. Um, and then number two, kind of connected to that, is that um, we all need to be striving for holiness because we have to be living an authentic Christian life. And um, Pope Paul VI in his apostolic exhortation, um, Evangelii Nunziandi said that, you know, if modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers, and if he listens to teachers, it's because they're witnesses first. And that applies to us as evangelists too, that you need to be striving for holiness and have an authentic Christian life um, because the gospel message is powerful and we need to speak it and share it and teach it. Um, we can't just stop with being a witness, but that gospel message can be um, it can be distorted if we're living a hypocritical life. And if we can lose credibility, if we ourselves are not living in charity and in joy. So we need to be striving for that holiness. And then number, number three would be never forget that it's the Holy Spirit who's the primary evangelizer. We're not the ones who are converting hearts. It's, it's God. We're planting seeds, and then we let God do the rest. And so prayer is an important component of everything you do when you encounter people. You know, pray to God that, number one, he'll give you the opportunity to share your faith. But then when that opportunity comes, that he can give you the words to say to that particular person, because they all need something different. Um, and so, but just never forget, it's not your work. It's, it's God's work in this. Um, we're just kind of planting seeds and letting him do the rest. And then the fourth thing would be kind of what you said, listen to people, um, because people have a lot of different experiences, um, a lot of misperceptions about the faith, a lot of misconceptions. And as you said, one of the things about defining terms, I'm always taking, taking that to heart because every time I talk to someone, if they ask a question, I'll often say, well, what do you mean by that? So like grace, what do you mean by grace? Tell me where, what you understand that to be. Um, and I didn't, it, it took me a, t- a while to start to realize um, what it was that many non-Catholics believe for me to then recognize we mean something very different by grace. And if you don't realize that, you'll speak in circles and you can never have true dialogue with that person. Um, so have them define grace. Have them define what they mean by salvation. You know, have them define justification. The words that, that are at heart of their question, ask them to explain it. Or even if they say, why do you worship Mary? You could say, well, why do you think that? You know, ask yeah. them questions so that it's not always you, the one, the one who's doing the talking. Find out where they're coming from. And so listening is, is a critical piece and trying to figure out what their root problem is or what their root issue is. Um, and kind of related to that, people will sometimes just have this shotgun approach where they'll throw out a hundred things that they don't like about the Catholic Church. But you want to try to find what's really at the heart of their concern or of their of why is it that they're um, having this issue with the church. Try to keep questioning them to find out what that kind of root issue is. And so you do that by listening. So those are kind of the four big things that I think are really important when you encounter people. Um, is, is first you have to work on yourself spiritually and intellectually 
you know, be a credible witness, authentic witness, and then trust the Holy Spirit and then really listen to that person. Yeah, I think those are absolutely awesome. And I think especially that that last one you said, you know, many times I found in my own experience, you know, interacting with people that many times people will have a bad experience with Catholics or a particular Catholic church or a particular priest. And then they, they, they begin to wonder, they begin to leave and they, they find all these justifications for their choice. And so sometimes somebody may come with you and say, you guys worship Mary. I'm a fallen away Catholic and you guys worship Mary. You do this, you do that. Whereas like at, like you said, at the heart of it, they, they, they had a really bad experience with a particular person, you know? And, and so, like you said, you know, identifying the, the, the root cause of, of their, their concern uh, with the church, you know, sometimes it may be veiled in, you know, doctrinal issues when it's really a a personal issue. Now, granted, it could also be the other way around as very good. Not only are you engaged with uh, St. Paul Street Evangelization, but you also uh, write articles for for Catholic Stand. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about how maybe how writing uh, helps your intellectual uh, process. Like, say you're you're taking a particular issue. Like, you just came out with uh, a great article on uh, Reformed theology's uh, penal substitution teaching. How does writing help you with like uh, a particular question or doctrine? Uh, it helps a lot, and I would actually say that all. Off- there's three different kind of things that I see that I do, like the evangelization piece, the writing piece, and then the teaching piece. Um, Cause I absolutely love teaching and talking about the faith and parishes, but all three have made me understand the faith better and be able to um, share the faith better. So it, they all and um, kind of help me in different ways. So evangelizing helps me be a little more spontaneous, be, be able to kind of answer questions that I'm not expecting. Um, the writing really helps me to be very precise and, um, but also engaging. How do you, how can you make this topic engaging? How can you make it precise? One of my issues, I'm very verbose. I mean, I'll talk a lot and, and especially about the faith and um, sometimes too much. And even with writing, it, it kind of f- flows into that. Sometimes I just will write too much, but it helps you learn how to be concise yet still remain precise and engaging. There's a lot of study that goes into a short amount of words. So there's a lot of background um, studying and reading and writing that you do to kind of concise it to the word limitations that they give you. Um, But then teaching in the parish is another piece where you have to, then you can be more organized, have an outline, but you be share your faith and you really have to understand it to be able to teach it to other people, at least in my experience. And so I usually kind of go with the attitude. I want to know as much as I can about the topic. And then you kind of gear it to, to your audience. Maybe it's eighth graders or high school or college or adults, whatever, but you, you need to know it to be able to teach any audience um, because you just don't know what questions that they'll have. Uh, and then, and so you kind of get, get the information and then try to gear it towards your, toward your audience when teaching. But I've definitely found all the different avenues just have made me understand the faith more deeply, more precisely. Um, and it's been able to help me with the other, each, each piece helps me share the faith in all those different ways. Um, so the teaching, the writing, the evangelizing, all different um, forms have made me better in my faith, understanding it better, and I can share it better. When I sit down and write something, uh, the the best one of the best things it does for me is it helps helps me see holes in my uh, 
uh, logical progression uh-huh. or it helps me see holes in my argument uh-huh. and say, okay, well, you know, this part, it's kind of muddy. You know, we have point A and point C are great, but B's a little, a little muddy. We need, we can be clearer on that. And, and like you said, you know, when, especially when it comes to uh, evangelization today, we, we have to be precise, you know, so I, I want to encourage our listeners, like, you know, when you're studying uh, theology or you're, you're, you're really looking into an issue, write out your thoughts, even if you're not trying to like write for a publication or something like that, write down your thoughts and you can see not just where the, the holes in your argument may lie or where your strong points are, where you need to increase by writing it down, it helps you also anticipate questions. And I think that's a, a huge thing with, with teaching is being able to anticipate the questions that your audience is going to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I found, I found, you know, that, you know, some people said, well, you know, who knows what kind of questions we're going to get. You can actually, and I'm sure you've had this experience, you can actually predict a lot of the questions people are going to ask mm-hmm. based on your own preparation. You know, you could say, okay, you know, I'm going to use this phrase. I'm going to say this. And I guarantee you, somebody in the audience is going to ask this question uh-huh. and, you know, 40 are going to think it and one's going to ask, you know, so, uh-huh. you know, I, I think writing helps uh, a lot in teaching, especially when, when it comes to uh, engaging in your audience. And then that, then that gives you kind of uh, the ability to, to an- have an answer for those questions, or at least the beginning of an answer for those questions uh, for when you teach. And I can say for our audience, I've, I've uh, taught with uh, Dr. Lowe. Uh, in the great state of Texas, uh, and I cannot recommend her enough. Uh, uh, she is a, 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 a great teacher uh, and, and really uh, knows her stuff when it comes to being precise. And I think that's uh, one of the things that is so important today also is, is this uh, precision because uh, um, the details matter. I always bring this up. When it comes to love, you know, the details matter. You know, it's not, imp- it's not good enough for me to know that my wife loves coffee but I have to know how she likes her coffee, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I can't just say, yeah, here's a cup of coffee. You know, it, mm-hmm. it it lacks something. You know, it lacks that 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 personal attention. And so I think when it comes to Catholics, precision and detail when it comes to the language that we use, I think it's reflective of a love of God. Um, and like you said, that, that love uh, is really what's at the heart of evangelization. Where can people find you? Uh, on the internet these days? Well, I have a website that is um, www.pillarandfoundation.com. And I primarily started it because I do these little short animated videos, I guess you can call them. I just, they're drawings that I do um, for more for kids, but adults love them too. Um, And so I needed a place to put them so that people could find them easily. So I created the website, but I also on there, can I have blogs? I post my articles there. When I give talks at the parish, if they're recorded, I'll put links to those talks on that website. Um, I have some different apologetics resources for people there. Um, I have a list, like my favorite book kind of list is there under resources. Um, so I just made it a place where, you know, hopefully people can benefit from things that I love and things that I found helpful to me. Definitely people, if parishes want me to come talk, there's a link on there um, to be able to try to get my email and, and reach out to me just so that I can, I just love teaching and I love sharing the faith. And so every opportunity, you know, I'm eager to do it. So that's probably the main place. Um, as you mentioned, Catholic stand is, is a website um, of, where I volunteer as a columnist for them. Um, the St. Paul street evangelization is um, www.streetevangelization.com. And so you can go in there and find your state or your city and see if there's a team and you can join up. 
Um, each of the teams, just to have a little side note there, if you're afraid of evangelizing, every team needs a, what we call like a prayer warrior. We have people who go out there with us and they may not engage people. They're sitting there praying with people. But also the more you get out there and do things, the more comfortable you are. So go out there and evangelize, you know, get, go and teach. And if you love your faith, all parishes need teachers. We need catechists. And so we need people who love their faith to be able to help hand it on to others. Um, and so, um, but that's just kind of, kind of off topic, but definitely get out and share your faith. But, um, but those are probably the, um, the main places where I am, am these days online. And on Facebook, I guess I have a, um, I started a little book club. It's called Kindling the Faith on Facebook. Oh, nice. And so I kind of have a little, if people are interested, they can join that. I really want people who want to read the book though. So I really don't want people just joining for fun, but, um, but we've been reading Frank Sheed's Map of Life together and then we're kind of going i kind of give a talk every week on on each chapter and then we kind of go through it together so we'll continue that hopefully with other books down the road but um but i'm just trying to find ways to keep people engaged keep people in love with the faith and you know like you said finding ways for people to not necessarily have to get a theology degree but ways that they can still learn the faith more deeply your facebook group reading the the, the map of life you know, I mean, like that that's such a great idea. And I think, you know, for, for our listeners, when it comes to opportunities to learn about your faith or uh, share your faith with others, sometimes like our default position is just to, uh, well, what does the parish offer? What does the parish offer? Um, but, but what's absolutely fascinating when you read, you know, the documents of the church when it comes to the laity and it comes to evangelization and all these things, the, the church says specifically that that this is supposed to be part of the life of the people you know so sometimes instead of looking to the parish look around you invite somebody over for a barbecue you know i remember i remember giving uh giving a presentation one time about you know parents and how can we help parents become more engaged with church and i said well you know help them become more engaged with the people in church and they were like, well, how do we do that? We, we had a we had a big, you know, parish picnic, but hardly anybody showed up. And, you know, so I said, OK, well, you know, invite them over for a barbecue. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you have if you if you know a strong Catholic family, tell them to invite this other family over for a barbecue. And honestly, let the parish stay out of it, because mm-hmm. uh, like you said, many, you know, many times we can we can do these things uh, on a personal level. Uh, a lot of times with a lot more ease uh, than always having to go through uh, the, the parish in that way. Um, but I think, you know, for, for the person that's looking for these opportunities, instead of just looking at the parish, you know, look at look at your friends, uh, look at the people around you and, and kind of start these, you know, little grassroots efforts to to just, you know, help help in that way. And, and I think, you know, kind of to have that outlook of, you know, kind of thinking exponentially. OK, you know, if I can help one or two people and then those one or two people can help, you know, one or two other people. You know, you can really see how uh, growth and how uh, evangelization can really take root and can really change the environment or the the, the local society uh, around you. Um, you know, I remember when I was in Texas, there was a group of uh, uh, guys that just got together and they just did uh, adoration and then they went out for like pancakes or something after it. Like, I mean, that that's that's an amazing opportunity, but they just, you know, they just did it on their own and they, they went out there. And also, like you said, you know, if you don't feel like you you're you're ready to engage people in that way, every ministry needs, you know, what we call a bead man. You know, somebody just somebody there just praying for them, uh, uh, supporting them that way. You know, th- those are those are the kind of things that you know we'll never know the power of this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, Doctor Lowe, uh, any final thoughts? Any final tips uh, for our listeners? 
Um, I would just echo what you said. I mean, the the church, 3% or so of the church are people who are religious. So priests and sisters, I mean, majority of the church are lay people. And with through our baptism, we have a vocation to holiness and a vocation to evangelize. Like it's one of the things the church asks us to do is to strive for holiness and then share Christ with other people. And so I think we all need to find ways in our life to do that. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of ministries. And, li- and like you said, just look close at home, close at heart, those people close to you. How can you start with your, your spouse, your children, your friends, your community? How can you start by being a better witness, but also sharing the faith with them, having conversations with them about the church. Even if it's Catholics, even if you don't feel prepared to go talk to non-Catholics, talk to Catholics and help Catholics strengthen their faith. We need that in the church. You know, we need we need people to be praying. We need people to be committed. We need people to be more fervent in the faith. Um, start, I, I, for the past four or five years, I have a little home group that I do also. Like once a month, I have about 12 to 15 people who I kind of met randomly over time and invited them over. We do a little Catholic yeah. Catholic study group. You can do that. Just grab some people and have a home group, have a Bible study group. Like you said, you don't have to go through your parish. Now, hopefully you have someone who can help ensure it's orthodox and you know, you're being precise and helping people truly grow in what the church teaches. Um, but do things, get out there and um, you know, fulfill that vocation to holiness and to evangelize and help each other do that. We're not alone in, in this. We need to help each other become holy and help each other share the faith and grow in the faith. And um, I, I just think it is such an important thing that we're all called to do. But sometimes as Catholics, we kind of forget that evangelization is something we are asked to do by God, by the church. Um, go out and, and preach the gospel to the world. And so we all have to do it in our own way. Yeah, I would definitely encourage people, find ways to do it in your life. Um, like Mother Frances, the line I love from her is that if you can't feed 500, feed one. Feed at least one person so that you don't know what you don't know what's going to happen. It's like a little ripple effect in the water. You drop a rock and it ripples. Feed one person. Let one person near you grow in Christ, that relationship with Christ, and then you never know what's going to happen. And just focus on one or two people, and then that'll grow. Your influence will hopefully grow in time. And um, just be committed. You know, be faithful to to what God calls us to do. And um, and then trust in the Holy Spirit every moment to guide you, to strengthen you, to give you the words you need to say. Yeah, and I, I, I think for the most part, most people, we don't have to look very far uh, for people uh, to, to engage in this way. I mean, the, the, the first question that I think everybody needs to ask themselves are, you know, who's the, who are the people that God has placed into my care? You know, if you're married, well, that's your husband. If you have children, that's your children. Okay, start there. You know, and, and that's why, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite things— that John Paul II wrote, you know, in Familiaris Consortio was he kept talking about the family as a ministry. But you look at the front of the bulletin, you're not going to find, you know, family Mm -hmm. in the way that he means it, meaning like the inner life of the family, the domestic church, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a beautiful place to start. That's a great place to start. So it is one of those things we, we all have those people in our lives begin, you know, begin there, begin, um, uh, begin small, but, 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 you know, again, uh, um, in that way, you know, we, we, we need each other, uh, to live this, to live this Catholic life. It's not always easy. Uh, and we need each other. Uh, so Dr. Lowe, I want to thank you for, for joining us today. And I want to encourage our listeners to, uh, check out all, all of Dr. Lowe's materials, uh, online. Uh, I can't, uh, recommend them highly enough, especially her new, uh, her new article on the, the problem of, uh, Reformed theology's penal substitution teaching. Uh, it's a very interesting topic, and it's one that's uh, kind of being discussed in a lot of Catholic venues uh, today. It's one that's very interesting, uh, especially when we look at the uh, 
the distinctions between Protestants and Catholics when it comes especially to salvation. Uh, And so, uh, Dr. Lowe, thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage all of our listeners uh, in the meantime to check us out at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless. Thank you.